Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yeah, very, very good. Look, I'm, I'm wearing my Rank Squad shirt. I've worn this in ages. So in a couple, I was like, I'm going to wear this now. Every record, I'm going to wear my Rank Squad shirt. It's my new thing. It's going to get me in the zone, get me in the mindset, get me hyped. It's good, you know. We're we're working down these down these paths. We're uh, representing on screen, even if no one can see us. They're going to hear us. But I think it will come through in the you know the passion of your. I think you'll be able to tell. Yeah, the quality of my performance will be raised today. 
just you watch. watch Every time Dean does something good, he's going to be like tapping the badge, giving it big beans. It's all very, very exciting. Kissing the badge. And we are yeah. also going to be joined by a very special guest later in the podcast. We're going to be joined by Christine Copo, who's going to be talking to us about all things Serie A. We're going to be fixing the main problems with the big clubs in Serie A. Mm. And there's a lot to fix. So we've got Exciting. You know, yeah. the expert in. Christine works for CBS. She works for that Serie A so um really excited to have her on the podcast today yeah so it should be fun looking forward to, to it yeah get ourselves stuck into later on but before we get to that before christine joins us i think it's time for a quick things we love it feels like it's been missing dean in recent weeks so i wanted to, to make sure that we were back on track this week no fair enough yeah that's that's fair um i'll tell you what at the time i haven't been feeling like this is fun but i have to say the transfer window is fun right now this is the busiest start to a transfer window I can ever remember. It is absolute madness. In the last 24 hours alone, I reckon there have been about 20 storylines that are massive. But it's all headlined by the fact that a, f- a bid from Man City has gone in for Declan Rice and an offer from Bayern Munich has landed for Harry Kane. So that's the headline acts of this. And then those two stories are followed up and surrounded by other stories, which, to be honest, are huge in their own right. Now, if you're not with us on Patreon yet, this might actually be the perfect time to get involved for your free month because I'm going to be chasing my tail by the time we get to the end of this transfer window if this is the rate at which things are going to change. Um, yeah, it could become quite funny. So come over there. There's loads of transfer stuff to get stuck into. But just to give you a reminder and a taste of what I have to deal with on a daily basis and what is going on out there in the transfer world, which, by the way, for Britsia Romano, is changing the shape of with his relentless tweets. Like, that guy is an absolute machine. Um, this is where we are at right now. Spurs announced a new goalkeeper in Guglielmo Vicario, and they're about to make an opening offer for James Madison. Urien Timber is closing in on a move to Arsenal, and Kai Havertz is about to be unveiled as an Arsenal player. Mateo Kovacic has just been unveiled as a Manchester City player after leaving Chelsea. Now, the Saudis, obviously, they are playing a big part in this transfer window. They are trying to bring in Marco Verratti, Roberto Firmino, Seko Fofana, Marcelo Brozovic, and Hakim Ziyech has just signed for Al Nasser to play alongside Cristiano Ronaldo next season. Right, Marcus Turam, he's joined Inter Milan. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, he's joining AC Milan. They also want Christian Pulisic. And it's just breaking, they also want Adama Traore. Timothy Weir, he's joined Juventus. Lucas Hernandez, looks like he's swapping Bayern for PSG. Ricardo Pepe, well, he's going to be joining PSV by the sound of things. And even over at Minnesota United, they're making a splash by signing Timu Puki. There is no end to this madness. Like As I say, that is just in the last 24 hours, those stories. This has been better than many deadline days I've been involved in, Jack, across my career working in in transfers. Two weeks into the window, utter carnage. The new Saudi trend obviously changes things up. Traffic for transfer websites is absolutely through the roof. Fans are losing their minds, especially people in North London. At the moment, you've got the red half, Arsenal fans panicking that they might not even end up getting Declan Rice. Man City snatched the Premier League trophy away from them. Now it looks like they're trying to snatch their star target of this transfer window. And Spurs fans, 
they're suddenly having a panic up too, mate, because they're dealing with an actual bid coming in for Harry Kane. It's an absolute roller coaster, but you've got to love it. Yeah, I mean, it has been a roller coaster. I, I very much enjoyed <laughs> enjoyed watching your updates, enjoyed reading about them, enjoyed talking about them on the Patreon and as well as here. It's been loads of fun, and it looks like there's no signs of slowing down either. And this is the thing, oh. you know, towards the end of transfer windows you start to get these domino effects that fall it feels like the dominoes have started falling right at the beginning which means that there could be no end of things that go on in the next month and you know this is the thing we're talking about a window that yes is open for the english clubs right now but not on a european level only on a domestic level so signings who are made before the first of july have to be registered after the first of july this is kind of the prelude really in some ways to how things are working so it's a it's a pretty strong opening chapter, isn't it? The big things we've got to come, Man United haven't done anything yet and they've got a takeover pending, like supposed to be happening. So like we haven't even had all that side to things yet. Man United haven't got any signings through the door. So there's all that to come. Chelsea, they're going to end up making signings. We've still got a knock-on effect, as you say, that will go on at places like West Ham once Declan Rice moves and, and they start to sign people and it has a knock-on effect to whichever midfielders they end up signing and the clubs that are affected by that. It really is going to be a a wild July. It really is. And then we'll see where we all are uh, in August, literally, as I'm talking here. Fabrizio's just tweeted, Tottenham are closing in on James Madison. Here we go. Verbal agreement in place on 40 million fee. I mean, yeah, Spurs absolutely had no intention of spending more than 50 million um, on uh, James Madison. So if they get him uh, around 40 million, that's a great start for them. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, we're going to be talking about lots of the things you've just mentioned later on in the podcast, especially the ones revolving around AC Milan, Inter Milan, Juventus, lots to look at there. Uh, but we've also got hot takes back at the end of the show. And I think there might be something quite spicy in there on Harry Kane and what Tottenham should do. So we'll come back to that one. I just want to add a little bit of something I love from this weekend. And what I love this weekend was the pictures that emerged of Sean Dyche at Glastonbury having a wonderful (laughs) time. And there's something about this, right, where you see players and pundits and all sorts and managers at Glastonbury. And that's great fun. For those of you... who don't know what Glastonbury is, it's the big UK festival, the biggest UK festival. It's pretty much the Coachella of the UK, for those of you in the States. But I would argue a little bit more wholesome uh, in kind of its vibe. But Sean Dyche turning up, taking pictures with loads and loads of Everton fans, all being all over social media. And it was just really lovely. But I looked a little bit deeper into this and Sean Dyche has always been a bit of a a music head, right? So growing up, he was part of the punk scene and then he got really into house music and rave culture when he was sort of 18, 19. uh, And that he's spoken about how much of an influence that had on his life and how much he loved it. And he's always liked lots of different musical elements. He's spoken about going to see different people. I remember a couple of years back being at Reading Festival and they were like, oh, who's the best person you saw and he was like well post malone it's not really my kind of music but i just thought it was absolutely unbelievable <laughs> and there are kind of just different things about this but i saw an interview with sean dyche earlier this year where they were saying oh what's your favorite gig you've ever been to and he said oasis at nebworth and then he said i just love to go to glastonbury though i've never been to glastonbury i've had kids for the last couple of years where it might have been an option so like, now they're a little bit grown up maybe i'll get the time to go to glastonbury this year and obviously someone's seen that and, and it's been opened up for Sean Dyche 
to go to Glastonbury, kept Everton up last year, got to go to the festival he's always dreamed of, took loads and loads of pictures with Everton fans and beyond, looked like he was having the time of his life, and now he has to go back to the carnage at Finch Farm. But, you know, the, the weekend at Worthy Farm, I would imagine, has put him in a better <laughs> mood going back into the carnage at Everton. So fair play to Sean Dash. I really, really enjoyed those pictures, and I really enjoyed him fulfilling a lifelong dream yeah it was either like spend the weekend arguing with Mashiri and ken Wright about a transfer budget or go to glastonbury and enjoy yourself for a weekend i think he's made the right choice there hasn't he um i saw david bentley once um at a gig that's the probably the, the closest i've come to a, a football celebrity fan spot at a gig and to be fair at the time david bentley was was playing for tottenham um and i'd been at a presser and in the team news on that day, it had been revealed that Bentley wasn't available for the weekend because I think it was a sickness bug. And uh, that night, I went to a Kasabian gig. And David Bentley was crowd surfing. And uh, yeah, that was that was quite the spin. Uh, David Bentley doing what he could to be at that gig. But that's, um, that's the only time I've seen it. You get a lot of it. You get Peter Crouch. He goes crowd surfing all the time. He goes to loads of gigs. Um not sure what other managers I can imagine seeing at Glasgow, but considering Elton John was playing, you might have got like Roy Hodgson or Big Sam rocking up. You never know. You never know. Although I can't imagine Big Sam being a massive fan of sleeping in the tent for the weekend. And that man likes the finer things in life, like pints of wine. That's why I'm not at Glasgow, mate. I don't think I, yeah, I don't think I can do that side of life anymore. Not for you. No, I've I've tried it. Look, um, I'm gutted that I missed out. Guided that I missed out on tickets this year. Uh, if anyone's out there and works for Glastonbury and can, uh, can secure tickets for next year, then uh, please do get in touch. That's a rogue shout, but I'm going to put it out there. Look, put things you want into the universe and, uh, and see if they come back to you. Because, things uh, he loves, weekend. free tickets to Glastonbury. Honestly, I, I always watch Glastonbury and this la- having gone last year, I couldn't bring myself to watch most of it this year. I watched the Elton John headlines, so I couldn't bring myself to watch most of it because I just was so upset at missing out. I was <laughs> upset. I went out to Lancaster and the Northwest for the day for the weekend in order that I didn't have to deal with it. Just the feeling <laughs> of being trapped and uh, having nothing to do. So yeah, very much a wonderful weekend was had by all, I imagine. And I'm very, very jealous. But with that, I think we should probably move into our main segment where we're going to be joined by the wonderful Miss Christine Cooper. Don't go anywhere. It's well hot out there, Rank Squad, and so there's no better time to stay hydrated. Whether that's kicking a ball around with your mates at Fiverside or bopping around your favourite festival, the golden rule is that hydration is key. Whether it's prepping beforehand, in the thick of the action or recovering afterwards, you can stay hydrated with Liquid IV. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. I've started using this stuff on Monday nights down at Fiverside and after all the big weekends have dotted my summer landscape and I tell you, it's a joy. You don't keep your skin looking this good by accident. Arriving in convenient little sachets, it's quick and easy to use and the acai berry flavour gives it that extra summer joy for me. But if that doesn't float your boat, there's 11 other flavours for you to try in your rotation. And if you're looking for the science, well, Liquid IV contains five different essential vitamins. B3, B5, B6, B12 and that big old vitamin C hit to boot. On top of that, you're doing your bit for some good causes. Liquid IV believes that access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. And so they partner with leading organizations worldwide for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, 
Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. You can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code RANKSFC at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code RANKSFC at liquidiv.com. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where I'm delighted to say we are joined by the wonderful Miss Christine Cooper of Serie A fame, of CBS fame. Christine, it's so lovely to have you here on Ranks FC. Likewise. Thank you for having me. You missed like pickup, stardom. But it's fine. I'll just tack that on in the end, you know? Like, that's the important part of my resume. You can, you can tack them on. <laughs> the pickup queen of New York. These are the, uh, these are the, these are the lines we Someone's live by. Someone's going to take that out of context and be like, let's snip that. doesn't need to be football-related at all. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, we are going to be chatting Serie A, which I know is something close to your heart. And we're going to be talking about the big problems with the big clubs and maybe how to go about starting to fix them, which means that this could go on for some time. It's going to be the Titanic meme where it's like, it's been 60 years, <laughs> I'm still talking. I'm like, well, now that we're almost done with transfer window. <laughs> no, um, it's been a lot. Every five minutes, I get new bits of news that you can only guess best or worst could possibly be true. Uh, I like to call uh, Mercado uh, telenovela for men because... All of you claim that you don't like gossip, but you are so deep in on this. Every minute you're like, did you see? Yeah, yeah I make a living off it, it, literally. So it's, um, it's, <laughs> no, it's fantastic. <laughs> you're like, yes, yeah, I'm exactly. Like, so I'm all, I'm all in like 100%. Yeah, see it. This is important. It's, it's the things that sustain us through a, a, a summer which has less football than usual. I think yeah. that there's plenty to get your teeth stuck into, but maybe less than people have expected after the 11-month behemoth that was this season. But I think the thing is that, for me, Serie A, these last few years, the last two, three seasons, have really felt like a real upturn in the fortunes of things. You know, obviously, we've seen Roma win the Conference League. We've seen Roma get to a Europa League final. We've seen Inter get to the Champions League final. We've had three different Serie A Scudetto winners. And then, you know, it feels like one of those opportunities where you're looking at everything... Calcio and, and looking at it and going, this is a major opportunity to kind of reestablish as one of Europe's leading forces after a real down period. And yet the start of this transfer window feels like there's just fires everywhere. And, and, and it makes me really sad, if I'm honest, Christine. It's, it's a lot, right? I think Serie A is my baby, undeniably. But I think that the COVID pandemic really kind of forced everybody to reassess what it means to be a world league in, in terms of importance, in terms of wealth, in terms of marketing and those kinds of things. And I think a lot of things shifted there, especially within Serie A, where they started to open their doors where they never have to a lot of foreign investors, which never, ever, ever would have been the case. And so I'm, I think we're seeing a bit of that bleed through too, right? Because a lot of those investors, we went from, I think, maybe seven at, at the highest to what, like nine American investors all in, in some respect across like Serie A and Serie B. And that certainly changes things in some part for the better, in some part, a little bit precarious, right? You can look sort of toward AC Milan in that respect where they are in a bit of unrest. But now we're heading into this transfer window and things are wildly, wildly different. I think the league's gotten way more competitive than it has been in the past where you don't want to see that sort of replication of the same Scudetto winner season over season where people will say, oh, y'all stretch, I'm over this, which you're seeing a lot of that now more in like Bundesliga 
Whereas you can look back in history's sake and say like, oh, Juve, 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 Juve. Well, the tides have turned, right? He, those who couldn't keep up financially or otherwise are now sort of in the spin, in the spin cycle and they have a lot to steer out of, which means a lot more importance, I would argue, is placed on this summer transfer window than some of the prior ones. But season over season, I think quality has gotten better. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. And I think we could probably get to work and get into these because the first <laughs> club I'm going to come to, and I think these go in kind of ascending order of how th bad things look right now. I'm going to start with Roma because... It did look for a while like everything was going to be on fire at Roma, that Jose Mourinho was going to leave, that everything was was up in the air ahead of the next season. A few of those fears have been allayed. It looks, you know, for the best part now, like Mourinho is going to stay. There are some key players, Dybala, who, who looks like he's going to stay at the club. And everything doesn't quite feel so on fire at the moment as it maybe did do. But Roma have these overarching FFP complaints, concerns that hang over everything. And... There's loads of questions going into this new season. And obviously part of it is it felt like everything was on a trajectory, I think, with the Conference League win, then Europa League final. If they'd won that, it would have been back in the Champions League for the first time in a long while. And suddenly everything feels like it's moving in the right direction. The loss to Sevilla, I think, has probably put a little bit of the roadblocks on that because it means another season back in the Europa League. But also it just feels like Abraham's injury has maybe turned things a little bit in that he might have been the biggest asset they would have been able to sell. There are now question marks over the future of quite a lot of these youth prospects. There's a lot going on still. Yeah, I think in terms of FFP, they have to come up with essentially 30 million by June 30th, which is not a small amount, but it's also not astronomical in the sense of, you know, players. Yes, Tammy probably would have been on the chopping block if they wanted one easy fell swoop to kind of clear their books and, and make themselves whole. There's obviously other options. Um, I, I think there's certainly eyeballs on a number of players. I think they just managed to get Tahirovich off to Ajax. Uh, if I'm not wrong there, I think that was in the last few hours. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Trying to keep up. So, I mean, that's a 20 year old off the books for, I think probably like eight and a half million uh, Bournemouth, Vigna is supposed to be coming back from loan from them. They're looking at purchasing him, but they're also looking at purchasing um, Kluivert coming off a loan at Valencia, I believe. Um, yep. So I think that if they kind of lump together some of the kids, they'll be able to sort of get it together and it won't be that big of a deal. Um, and then I think their backup plan was to sell Roger Ibanez. And then that would have been like, and maybe that still is in play. Who knows? Um, everything changes minute over minute. But I think the last that I checked, that was kind of where they stood. So I'm less concerned about financial fair play. I know Jose seems very comfortable. And I think that's good. I think he enjoys being at Roma. He's obviously on vacation right now. Um, just kind of having his go with life as he should. And Tiago has been in charge of sort of this transfer window. But I think that, yeah, as you said, like Roma are like the least in danger in terms of just making missteps and major errors this transfer window. I think everything that they've managed to accomplish with Jose is all pure like bonus. I don't think that them having lost to Sevilla is some sort of edict on, you know, where they go or what they are. I think that they're already have been overperforming and that gives them something lofty to sort of move toward. Plus the man got it tattooed on him. I still cannot. I just, I live, I, I love like Jose Mourinho. I know he's a very divisive figure. 
I love him. I have no tattoos, but maybe I'll get a Jose Mourinho tattoo and shock everybody. Uh, I, I just, he's, he's a very interesting character, but I would adore have like, if you could have dinner with one person uh, among the Serie A managers and coaches. Mm, I don't know. I nice. spent some time with Jose Mourinho once and it was the most intimidating half hour of my entire life. <laughs> Bleach Report had set me up to ask him like some really weird questions. And when I say he wasn't interested, he really, really wasn't interested. It was oh, awful. No. Like See? the questions I had to ask him was like, <laughs> why are you put, why are you asking me this? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Dean, what? Like the call was coming from inside the house. Like who had bleacher report? Well, it was, was like, if it would have up, worked, I would have, I would like, have got you? it. But it was like, oh, if you were um, Anthony Joshua's, if you were in Anthony Joshua's corner and he was in like the last round of his fight, like what would you say to him? He's like, well, I wouldn't be there, would I? <laughs> I was like, no, I guess you wouldn't. <laughs> I guess you wouldn't. Love- well, at least he's honest. I love him. At least he's honest. Like, that. like he's like, oh no, I'm not going to make this easy for you. Why would I do that? Why would I play I remember, along with this? Yeah, after that Jose interview, Jose. I remember just sitting on my own in yeah. a restaurant and having like this huge burger and chips and about three or four beers and just on my own being like, that did not go well. That really didn't go well. That's that's unusable. <laughs> that was absolutely unusable. I think we've, we've all been there before, just like maybe not with yeah. Jose Mourinho, like where you're like. That was a rough go. It oh, happens. that's going to be a bad it one. Happens. Maybe I edit that one out. That one's no. not going in the reel. <laughs> Didn't make it anywhere. <laughs> I think this is important because actually this kind of comes back to what you're saying, Christine, in that he feels happy yeah. and he feels happier at Roma than we've seen him in a long time. And, you know, I've spoken about this on the podcast before that Jose Mourinho outside of England is one of my favorite people on earth. Jose Mourinho inside the Premier League becomes quite grouchy and grumpy quite quickly. And look, there are still those elements of fire in him. And I'm not taking away from those things. We saw that at the end of the Europa League game, etc. with all of those antics that went on. But he does feel like a, a more content character, I think, in Serie A. And I think that's important for him oh, yeah. and for the league as a whole. Because a happy Jose is one of the best, <laughs> most lucrative things you can have of bringing people into the league. I wholeheartedly agree. I, I do not. I mean, I yeah. too would be grumpy if I had to endure any of the weather across the Premier League <laughs> at any given day. So I understand. I empathize. But also, you know, proximity to really good food and just culture. No offense, but like Italy... Who's going to argue with Roma? Yeah. Nobody. No, yeah. no one. No one. Thank none you. taken. We're not going to have that. <laughs> Obviously, Abraham's out until, well, they're saying the start of 2024. Yeah. It might be a little bit before that. But surely they need firepower through the door. And we're talking about outs here to meet FFP. Yeah. There's been some really smart free signings in Evan and Dika, Hussein Awa. There's been new contracts for Smalling. There have been new contracts for Cristante. It feels like the squad is actually coming around quite nicely. But... Do they have to get someone through the door? And if that they do, is that person Skamaka, who's clearly had a terrible time at West Ham? Look, the problem is that um, they don't want to pay for him. And and West Ham, if they're going to sell Skamaka, they want their money back. Um, right. It's a really... That's exactly the situation it puts you in. Because remember, the, the guy they got in Skamaka is not the guy that has played for West Ham. And so it's kind of a really large pill to swallow to have to concede that like yeah we should dump this guy which quite frankly they should they should let him go back go back to Serie A he was thriving there and that's unfortunately 
And I hate this because I feel like too often this ends up being the crutch argument that most people make that's like, oh, he just wouldn't be able to make it in Premier League. If he was at maybe, maybe club, not, right? Like yeah. he played for one one team for a season. Let's cool it, buddy. Yeah, he doesn't fit David Moyes. He doesn't suit him. Moyes mm. didn't particularly want him. No, and that's the issue too, right? It doesn't matter what leagues. If he were under Moyes somewhere else, it still likely yeah. would not work. It just he's not his kind of yeah. player. I don't really know how that ended up happening. I was excited for Skamaka to go and kind of test himself, but I think it's definitive that you know, he's certainly had better situations he's played in and he deserves better. I think he'd be great at Roma. I just don't know that they're going to come out of pocket for him. And I also think that the only other string that I think Roma would have to pull in terms of exits to bring in more cash would be Nikola Zalewski and Romanisti would riot. And rightfully (laughs) so, right? He's just a really talented young kid. I like him. I see you're both smiling. So I'm waiting for the, (laughs) for the opinion on, on our dear sweet child. But I think that he would be the easiest move to create automatic liquidity. He's homegrown academy kid, but for that reason, and just especially in the spirit of Calcio, you don't, typically get rid of those you want to retain at least a few of them that kind of end up being like emblematic for the club and i think he's just too talented to let yeah i think yet. it's like identity too which a lot of Serie A clubs seem to be losing at the moment like this is the the big fear like italian football is like in a really awkward situation at the moment whereby like financially they're falling behind so they're having to sell big assets to cash in on them and like the premier league will snap them all up because there's there's so much money to do so and in Serie A, they're like, okay, yeah, take take it. Give us the money. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Now we also have the Saudi league yeah. diving in headfirst in ways that they never previously had. Exactly. So it's a really bizarre ecosystem right now for world football because you're not just trying to outbid fellow leagues or larger leagues. You're also trying to outbid actual just states. investors and states, funds. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> the entire state. Oh, yeah. Outbid the country then. No. Um, but sincerely, it's crazy because when you look at that, and I do not fault any of the players who have already signed on to go to the Saudi league, because obviously careers can end tomorrow unexpectedly. But with that, you're literally saying like, I'm securing my future. However, I'm forsaking any exposure that I could get during regular club play. Am I going to say like, yes, maybe I'll watch a match or two periodically, especially since they're now drawing. And I think that was the incentive of it is like, if we bring in a pool enough of players that people want to see, then we can turn their head. Whereas if you bring in one or two players, eh, you know, maybe, maybe not. I think that that's going to be a bigger issue because now you're not just taking on like, you know, Man City or, you know, apparently Arsenal now, um, or Chelsea for bidding wars. It's it's the Saudi yeah, League Yeah, what I'm interested in is, like, it's probably going to be a generational thing, but, like, what will people want to watch? So you've got Serie A that are losing, potentially, a lot of the star names from the league to go to whether it's the Premier League or Saudi Arabia or wherever else, and the rights are going to be coming and coming and coming to watch Saudi games. But surely, traditionally, everybody's still going to veer towards watching Serie A ahead of that, or are there kids today that actually just want to watch names? Like, so in, in football, I don't feel like that's really been a thing before. In American sports, in NBA and NFL, people do follow players throughout their career and they will support whichever team they play for. And that's not typically, beyond Messi and Ronaldo, something that you would ever do in our sport. 
maybe it's going to become a thing. I totally agree with you. I think what I'm seeing as an elder millennial <laughs> ooh, um, is that a lot of Gen Z and Gen Alpha are starting to pivot that way, even outside of the American fan base, where they follow a particular player because they identify with them or nationality or their initial team that they liked, or it has some sort of resonance with them and they follow them throughout their career, which changes the face of fandom in itself. Just like it yeah. gets weird, right? Like to me, like, you know, you choose yeah. your teams and like, that's it. This is a marriage only better than a marriage. Cause it's actually until death do us part. There's no, no backseas, no out, <laughs> no prenup, no negotiating. Like you're living and dying with that side. Absolutely. We actually have a question on this in right at the end of the podcast. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna park that one because we have something okay. something to talk about <laughs> right at the end that I think might might just reignite this conversation. Uh, but with that, I'm gonna move on to Napoli, um, who have just let their Scudetto manager, winning manager, walk away. Now Spalletti obviously wanted to go, uh, and he obviously has had his time, and he wants to take a sabbatical from football. He has reached the peak of Mount Olympus or, or Mount Vesuvius in this regard, uh, and he has you know, written himself into footballing folklore in Napoli, which is a very, very hard thing to do. But Rudy Garcia has come in. He's a good manager with a decent track record, but this is not the big name that many expected to come in on the back of this title win for Napoli. And it starts to raise questions about whether they can keep this squad together. And in a minute, Dean, I'll come to you on the futures of, of Ossiman and, and Kim and, and what happens with those players. But Christine, Napoli can't afford to stand still. They have to continue to improve. And there are so many question marks about how Rudy Garcia wants to play and what is this going to look like next season? I certainly have my own questions as well. I I don't I don't know if I just perceive that managerial shift differently because obviously Spalletti has worked toward this Scudetto, right? He's the eldest Serie A first-time Scudetto winner that there is presently. And that's a considerable amount of pressure, right? Like he was gifted back his steering wheel to his car from two years ago that the ultras took from him. Okay. So to say that he wasn't understanding the gravity of his time at Napoli would be an understatement. Okay. Um, I think that I'm looking at it more as not that they're calling it that, but more as like an interim kind of role because Spalletti hasn't said that he's not necessarily coming back. I feel like this for him is more of a sabbatical, which I feel like he's earned more than earned, quite frankly. Yes. Um, yes. So I don't particularly see De Laurentiis making any major shifts, filling the gaps. Yes. But notoriously, De Laurentiis is a businessman, right? I mean, he's the same guy that got Koulibaly prior to last season to, to commit to a pay cut and then ended up seeing him leave anyway, when you would have, you, I'm talking about me, would have argued like he's one of the world's best center backs. Like, why would you do that? You're going to cripple yourself. Yeah. And then coincidentally you find Kim and Jay, who now potentially also on the chopping block. I don't want to see any of these players leave. I'm going to be honest with you. And that's as a total neutral, but they have endeared themselves so much to me as a squad. They just play beautiful ball. They're exciting. They put some of the zap back in Serie A where you're like, oh, okay, we have, you know, they 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 work together so well, right? And even when you didn't think there would be depth, there certainly was, right? You have Diego Simeone who had stepped up in Champions League more than a few times and perhaps I would argue didn't really get as much time as he could have or should have. But 
how do you argue with, you know, shifting the other talent on that field? So I feel like Napoli will be fine. I think that it will be a greater question of how Rudy Garcia sees this playing out. I hope to God that, you know, Osiman sticks around for years and years and years because he's one of my favorite players. But I, I don't know what it looks like ahead because I don't really know what they're looking to do. I would argue that they're probably trying to maintain, right? You do want to obviously be a contender again this season for the Scudetto. You don't want to say, hey, yeah, finally, we won it after 30 years. Well, we could just let it slide again. No big deal. Like nobody's playing for funsies, right? You're not like, hey, it was just nice to show up and see you again, buddy. It's been a long summer. Like your pickup um, games. I'm sure they're coming in. Yeah. I don't know. I, I What do you guys think? Well, I, I think this is really interesting because we're looking at these different things and we're looking at what this squad looks like. One of the things that I think Napoli have done really well is they've kind of sort of planned for the future in, in a nice way in terms of if Ossiman goes, mm-hmm. and I am with you, Christian, I hope he, I hope he sticks around for a long, long time. But they've already got Raspadori in the background waiting to make his breakout season. They've got Gio Simeone. Now, neither of those players is as good as Ossiman, but there are very few players in Europe who are. So that's okay. But between them, I think you've got enough goals there to sustain things. I would say Napoli all this last season... They really, they have, they may not have one-to-one replacements for each position or role, but they are more than suitable, if that makes sense, right? Like, you're not going to have cookie cutter, copy paste, but if you put Simeone in, you know what you're getting, and that's still reliable. Yeah, I mean, it's the same with Kim Min Jae. Now, people laugh when Leo Ostergaard signed last summer. Obviously, he'd spent time... He was at Brighton, spent time on loan at Coventry, at Stoke. And suddenly he was signed by a Napoli side, you know, obviously ostensibly to replace Koulibaly, but obviously he was going to be not the first choice set back. <laughs> yeah, after that, you want to be like, just kidding. <laughs> but he's a 23-year-old with quite good experience and who's definitely still growing in the game. Now, I'm not suggesting he's going to step into Kim and Jai's shoes because that's a lot. Yeah. But when you are looking at these things, you're suggesting that there's a player there who's had a year adjusting to life in Naples, who's a young defender on the come up, who Brighton have rated highly enough to sign. And we all know what Brighton scouting model is like. And Napoli have now rated highly enough to sign off Brighton. There is clearly a player there in Leo Ostergaard. And whoever, you know, if they go and make, I don't know, 50, 60 million, Dean will probably be able to, to clean this up on, on Kim, then they can reinvest that in sensible ways. And that feels like good squad management from Napoli. I'm just worried about Garcia. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I just, I also think that all of that aside, they did some really brilliant scouting in finding Kvaraskelia, which I don't think that's going to be something, you know, that literally is a diamond in the rough. You're not going to constantly kind of, you know, dig out the Georgian league and be like, hey, we've got our next find, you know, maybe, hey, maybe that'll work out for Inter with Mama, Mama, oh my God, (laughs) Mama Shkavili. Easy for you to say. Well, we're going to get a pronunciation Jack's good at it. There. Jack, go. But, Mama um, Dashvili. There you go. Ma- Ma- Mama Dashvili. There you go. Mama Dashvili? Just call him Mama. Mama yeah, we'll, we'll work on that. Mama. No, see, I, I purposely work hard to pronounce their names So does Jack. Oh, I don't. I just go with what I think it should be. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's Mama. <laughs> just give him a nickname. But yeah, so I, I just think... Napoli have done really wise business across the board, even when you get really upset at them. And then 
by you. I mean, me, I was super upset. I didn't think I placed them at a significant handicap at the beginning of the season, just because of some of the moves that they had made. And I was like, Oh, there's no way this is going to be stable. And every single time I was like, I'm going to go eat my hat. (laughs) And it ended up being an absolutely remarkable season. I'm like, yes, this is why I am not managing this side. (laughs) Obviously a lot of this squad has been built by Cristiano Giuntoli, who is off to the Juventus by all sorts of reports that are coming out right now. That feels huge in terms of what they're building and also how they deal with their business this summer. Yeah, he's been with Napoli for eight years, right? Eight years? Mm. Yeah. And it he still has a year on his contract, which is interesting. And I, by all account, I can understand why he would be super attractive to pull over to Juve. Yeah. A thousand yeah. percent. I think that he's very used to doing very smart business in terms of player selection and otherwise that Juve could certainly use at their disposal at this point. I don't think that that means that Juve will be suddenly, you know, spending more frivolously because they managed to get him. I do wonder why he would leave with a year on his contract though. But yeah, to your point, I have seen uh, reported everywhere that he's essentially a done deal. Yeah, I mean, look, the other thing that comes down to for Napoli is like, obviously, Kim and Aussie men are the two um, elephants in the room as terms of what actually happens with them. And there's a big chance that both do go. I I honestly still believe that both could go. I think Kim almost certain to go. That's the unfortunate part. I agree with you. I think Kim is essentially gone and I refuse to turn an eye toward Osimhen. I just find it hard to believe that nobody actually goes for him right now because there's too many clubs that need a number nine. There's Man United, there's Chelsea and there's Bayern Munich that all need a number nine. And by the end of August, two months away from now, I just can't believe that nobody's gone there and done it. And we've seen right now like a bit of an exodus of, of star names from Serie A. And it's a bit scary for what this is going to do to the league. But, you know, we could get towards the end of this summer and be looking at a time when Tonali's gone, Kim's gone, Ozyman's gone, Chiesa, Vlavic, Onana, Lataro, Barella. Like, they're all being talked about in terms of leaving the league. And it's a pretty scary time in terms of, like, the status of the league. Because if those, like, eight names, for example, were to go, like, that's massive in terms of, like the levels you're able to be playing at. And for Napoli, obviously, to lose those two would be ridiculous. But, you know, the the quotes that come out from De Laurentiis, like, they're so... They just don't fill you with confidence. It was the last one I saw. It was like... That's how he's always been, though. I and I know, feel like but... because he's always been like that, sometimes he really does surprise me in a positive way. Mm. I do know that Osimhen does love being at Napoli, and I'm hoping that that holds a bit more water in some of his decision-making. But I think that despite the fact that obviously as a player, you're going to say, no, I love it here. I want to stay here. I hope that that is a bit more solid than some of the others who have said similarly and then subsequently left their club. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I think the, the the biggest reason that he's going to be at Napoli next season is that no one's going to fork out 180 million for him. And I think that that's genuinely where Napoli value him right now. So that that's the one that holds me. But I think we should roll onwards into... Inter, because it does feel, and you just mentioned a few of them, Dean, that 
they might sell all of their key players oh. this summer. You know, Gerson's and Dzeko have already gone. Skriniar's <laughs> off to PSG. Brozovic looks like he's off to the Saudi league. Bastoni's in demand. Barella's in demand. Lautaro's in demand. Anana's in demand. The Lukaku saga looks like it might eventually resolve itself. So he might be back yeah. as the number nine next year. But it just all revolves it's around these finances scary. and what they look like at this point. Yeah, and no, honestly, I think Onana's the one. Yeah, I found on. If Onana goes, I honestly think that that is so telling, especially if Brozovic does end up going to Saudi as well, because like the style of play and the way that they tried to put people on the back foot is that those initial passes, those early balls out are so telling for them. And like Onana's like ability to play out the back is absolutely ludicrous. Like he genuinely is the best goalkeeper in the world at it. And it's a huge part of why they've been able to be successful. And you know, the, the the guy that they had in mind to replace him has just signed for Tottenham. So you already are struggling mm-hmm. in that sense. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of names there. There's tons, right? I just, with Inter, especially with the Lukaku issue, we'll call it an issue. Yeah, it's, it's, an, issue. it's an issue. Is it will be certainly repaired if they sell Onana for as much as they expect to get for him. The other side of that is I would argue that Onana is more important to maintaining that side than Lukaku yeah. is, even though I do love Lukaku. Um, the problem with Chelsea asking for like 34 million for I think that's how much they're asking for Lukaku in terms of what they actually paid for him, which was what, almost 100 million. Yeah. And that was in what, 2021? I think they've obviously accepted that they're going to take a loss either way. I just don't know what the overall appetite from Inter is going to be. I think they'll probably try to offer up another loan situation, although I know that's not necessarily what Chelsea are going to want. And then add a trigger clause like you would normally, only so that you're paying on the back end and not the front end, if that makes sense. Because I don't see them just dropping all of that cash. It's not in the nature right now, right? No, well, also, there's this double point that, you know, yes, they're going to get money for Gerson's, who's obviously gone to Union Berlin, Mm Skriniar, that's a free transfer. If Brozovic goes, that'll be for a fee. If Anana goes, that'll be for a big fee. But you look at the players coming in as kind of replacements, right? Lukaku might come through and replace Dzeko. We'll leave that one kind of alone. But if Brozovic goes, who comes in to replace him? Is that Davide Fratesi? And if so, how much is that going to cost? Turam's coming in, it looks like, on a free transfer, which is probably quite a good fit. Mamadashvili, I think, is a very, very good young goalkeeper. And and it, whilst he's not at Onana's level, few are right now that are on the market. There's been links to Cope Miners as well, Carlos Augusto as well. There are there are players in the pipeline. Atalanta are usually like the most willing to sell of the Serie A sides. I think that's fairly inarguable. But the thing with Coop Miners, and like I think he's great, is like that Napoli also have been keeping an eye on him, Liverpool, Inter. Like, there's a laundry list of people that are behind, and I would argue that uh, Liverpool or Napoli would get him before Inter would. Mm, And, yeah, yeah. I mean, Fertese could be a good fit sliding from Sassuolo, but, again, is he good value for what they need him for? I don't know. Yeah, question marks is probably how I put it. But I think the key with Inter is, 
the players almost have to go through the trap door before the replacements are brought in. And that's a very difficult place to be because you're kind of waiting on other people to trigger. <laughs> Should I pay the electric bill or the rent <laughs> first? Like they're literally hopping left to right foot. It's kind of interesting to watch, but I mean, at least they're watching it and not just saying like, hey, like we're too big to fail. Remember like Inter were one of the clubs that were in that really weird precarious space during peak COVID when they were considering filing for yeah. bankruptcy. So we're not so far removed from that. It's just that now we're trying to, I guess, behave as if that whole period of time didn't happen is how I'm kind of reading it because everybody's kind of trying to make themselves mm. whole. FFP coming up in 2022 and correcting for now is they only had so much time right and i feel like now it's they've turned their gaze to competing with other leagues rather than just kind of worrying about their own finances yeah i think too like it's i think you can like combine this i mean we'll, we'll talk about ac milan in, in a couple of minutes but like inter are the, the stronger team they were the team that you would choose over ac milan right now and i think that still says a lot marcus turam coming through the door right now if they end up with turam and they've got they managed to they keep lautaro they managed to sign lukaku like that is a strong place to be i've i have got concerns about like the age of the defenders and like what they're doing there like i, I feel like this is a team that has pace issues coming for them next season and like signings like Aspilicueta I've been saying that he should have retired for the last three years so I'm not sure exactly what you're <laughs> going to be getting from from Aspi at this point but he might be fine he might be fine it depends how you use him um but it, it's that mm. balance like in attack I haven't really got any concerns about this team it, it's it's more at the back I'm wondering like you know the whole squad which is very lopsided for like classical Italian ball yeah yeah there's no Anana, no Skriniar and this kind of thing and not being replaced properly. I think they're definitely, and I think right now all of the focus collectively between everybody watching Mercado and, you know, just general football fans is on all of the big names and attack because everybody knows that attack is sexier than defense. But I'm sure they'll probably, they have to figure out a go forward plan as much as they historically do like to rely on like the elder defenders. You can only do so much before you end up just exposing yourself in the back. Like it's great to have a attacking ball and then, whoops, yeah. you know, <laughs> don't mind our defense. <laughs> We're vibes back here. Well, this is it. And it's been such a key part of them. I wonder if that loan gets refinanced to be my last bit. But we don't know anything about loans. So we're going to move onwards to no. Milan, uh, where the fans <laughs> are basically in open revolt against owner Jerry Cardinale. They released Paolo Maldini, club legend, as a technical director. They released Ricky Massara, sporting director. The next thing you know, Sandro Tonali's on his way to Newcastle instead of being the club captain of the next 10 years, as many expected. Rafa Liao's posting weird things in, on, in, on Instagram just after signing a new contract. They've been beaten by Marcus Turam by Inter, which feels like another massive blow to the supporters. It's just all over the place at Milan, Christine. And look, uh, we said that these fires would get more and more intense. This one feels like a real mm -hmm. jump upwards in terms of intensity. It is more on fire in the red and black half of Milan. It really, really is. And this is sort of goes back to what I was pointing to with some of the doors that had opened to American investors within uh, Italian culture. 
for the better and also for the worst, right? So with some of these investors' funds and everything else that have gone, you also get a touch of that sort of mentality. And I feel like if you don't fully understand the culture, the nature, and the beating heart of Calcio, no matter how great you are with investments and monies and making business decisions, you're always going to be missing something. And I feel like with this particular incident with AC Milan, yes, they they had a very wonky season on and off to the extent that they were obviously out in the open speaking to their own Kurova about their performance and kind of showing ownership of their poor performances and understanding and hearing them out, which isn't atypical in general, but it's very atypical for it to happen so publicly like that, the way that they did that. And that was very, very intentional. That aside, when you have someone that is Maldini at your club that is a totem for the entire organization as a whole, is an absolute legend of the game, and rightfully so, is deeply respected globally, even outside of your club. Even if you don't agree or see eye to eye, and a lot of that had been going on since prior seasons where, you know, it was a matter of we need funds for XYZ from a sporting side, which granted, you're not always going to see eye to eye on those things. But the intangibles that come with Paolo Maldini are the fact that he can offer his tutelage, that he is a game changer in terms of getting and retaining players that you maybe otherwise would not have that string to pull and no other side is going to have that to offer is just a catastrophic lack of understanding of the way that culture works. And I am heartbroken for the Milanisti that just like, what, what do you even look to when you see that your club front office doesn't understand you, the fandom, the, the sport, the culture, the passion that goes into all of it, that you can so easily dismiss someone of that stature and I get it. Sometimes these moves are very like, hey, like nobody is too big to, you know, remove and make an example of, but like not Maldini. <laughs> like that's just insane to me. And that I understand the frustration. Is, that name is Milan, right? <laughs> take that out, right? So Jack, what do you have? Like what message does that send to your supporters at that point that you show that you're so detached from them that you can make a decision like that at the drop mm. of a dime? and then expect the ship to write itself. Now that also came on the back of Liao's contract extension. So his little weird emoji, I would absolutely feel the same way that he does, which I'm sure is a, a certain extent of betrayal because you entrusted yourself to this. You had a great relationship with Maldini. He was part of the package. And now all of a sudden you're finding out that overnight, you know, the timing on that was just atrocious. It was literally like, I think just under a week mm. after, which looks horrible, even just optic wise. Like the PR person should have been like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Wait a few weeks if you really want this to happen. But it does, it, it looks like they have egg on their face. And then Tonali's departure is just like another um, sign that things are not well at home. Yeah, and I get it. It's um, it's it's not really like the football club that you believed in either, and I think that that's the thing the fans will have the issue with now. You're like losing 
two icons like that. I mean, in very different ways, but Tonali and Maldini, obviously a lot to do with the identity of the team on the pitch and also the team off the pitch. Um, they won't like the fact that they don't have that resonance now. And like when you're first signing on the back of it is like Ruben Loftus-Cheek as well. I know that like that's not anything to do with this really because like to be fair, Maldini was the guy that started the conversation around that. But you're basically looking at it and you're like, what? So we've lost Tonali and we've signed Loftus-Cheek. Like, no, that that's that's not okay. And then yeah. you're going to look at how this team evolves from now and you'll be like, well, why is Liao going to stay beyond this next year? Like, what? how's this going to change? And you worry too that like, if this season doesn't start well and Pioli ends up going, for example, then everything's gone. Like Pioli's like kept that team through some really bad times and he's managed to ride some waves. And the togetherness of that team has been a big strength. And it seems like that might now start to crack because two key figures in the unit have now gone. I think that it has put them in a very bizarre space to move forward. Milan winning the Scudetto, that whole squad, include this includes Pioli, right, and his impact. They all overperformed to get that season done. And that was evident because last season, very few changes had actually come through. They did take a few really oddly timed injuries that were probably better served to happen at other times when they didn't have big matches and they could have thrived a little bit better. But without a lot of the underpinnings of support and understanding that they seem to have lost there. I just, I don't see layout staying beyond this season. I, I honestly, I don't, I think that whatever was done in that front office and whatever's going on behind the scenes at this point, things are very uh, in a very ridiculous state at AC Milan beyond, beyond yeah. what we're saying. And it's unfortunate because there's no reason for it. It just business is business. And I understand that, but I'm begging you if you're going to invest, especially in Italian football, to understand what you're actually getting into. And it's literally not all going to be found on your balance Yeah, 100%. I mean, what about Pulisic, though? Are you, I mean, are you excited about that? I don't know, because I get asked that question so very often about him mm. specifically in Serie A on various sides. And I don't know. I don't know how well he would fit. Well, it would be like my official, I don't personality wise. And I just, I know he's got the fire in him to be the player that he is. And Chelsea certainly time there is not serving him well because he needs to be playing regularly. And that's just not happening for him. But I just don't know where I see him fitting best in Serie A. Yeah. His next move has got to be right too. Like he's, he's got to get this one right. I mean, all across the board, like we can't have one of the key national team players up in the air. Uh, I mean, that aside from the fact that it's not just him at present time that are not playing necessarily as many minutes as they should be starting in a league on a side that is highly competitive and, and worth competing in to be our you know, a major starter for the men's national team, especially going into the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's one of those really kind of strange ones with Milan because it just feels like it's going to get more, it's going to get worse before it gets better. How many other countries are taking players that are like barely starters for whether they're a big side or not and putting them on their national team as starters and like basically just handing them the keys to the car and saying like, please don't wreck it. It's wild. 
because it's usually the inverse. Everywhere else you have a higher expectation where you would be left off the squad if yeah. you were not, you know, That's never going to happen to him. I think the kind of last, the last thing with Milan though is that Zlatan Ibrahimovic retired last year. Yeah, that makes me sad. Yeah, but why he might not have been that important on the pitch last year because he wasn't able to contribute all that much. It struggles, you know, it's a struggle to replace his impact as much as anything. Now we know that Liao's taken the number 10 shirt. That's a big statement from him and a big statement for him. But it does feel like they need as much as anything else. And look, they're going to have to replace Tanali. They're going to have to look to bulk up this squad and improve it if they want to challenge at the top end again. But also you've got to replace somehow the influence that Zlatan Ibrahimovic had in the changing room. And that is so, so large. Yeah, I agree. They need an emotional support Zlatan going forward. I don't know how they work that, but he contributes even if he's not on the field. I mean, I'm sure that he could easily motivate me to run through a wall for him just at the flip <laughs> of a dime. But I... I don't know. I feel like, not that I'm sad, or maybe I'm a little bit sad, but I feel like the upcoming season is going to be a little bit weird given a lot of the exits, retirements, and otherwise the shifts and changes of the variety where you're like squinting at your TV. Like, who's that in that shirt Mm -hmm. kind of a feeling? And I feel like it hasn't felt like that in a while. Mm, Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Right. We have one more club to get through and it is the biggest fire of all. And that's in Turin, uh, your beloved Juventus, Christine. And I've basically got a list of questions and I'm going to just roll them off and then we'll see what we can do about answering them. I was going to say, <laughs> what are they going to do? Rapid fire. <laughs> Here we go. What are they going to do about Max Allegri? Are Chiesa and Vlavic going to leave? Who replaces Di Maria in terms of creativity? Are they going to let Ravella and slash Ormoretti go? Surely this isn't a sustainable long-term plan. Who's in charge at board level? What does Gentoli's remit entail? Does he have any money to spend? Are, they, are Juve going to be banned from the Conference League? Even if they were in it, are they going to pay any attention to it? Is Zaniola coming in a particularly good idea? Is Moise Keane good enough to be the starting number nine for this side? And is Tim Weyer a particularly good signing, considering <laughs> he's played most of the season at right back for Lille? Yeah, it's, it's a lot, admittedly. Juve have had quite a time this season, last season, the season before that, the season before that now. Uh, In all seriousness, they have had the issue of having a small, small, medium, no, maybe a large, (laughs) come to Jesus, probably seasons back where they needed to finally commit and also admit to it being a rebuilding year. And in the spirit of Fino Alafine, they just simply would not do that. Understandably so. However, that certainly creates a massive disconnect between expectations, i.e. the fan base, and reality of what has continued to to happen here. So this season, uh, people unhappy again. Uh, Allegri back in the saddle. People also displeased, continuing to move forward with Allegri. Allegri, they signed, I think, on a four-year deal. Allegri is here. Allegri will be here. He was brought in for the purpose of stability and he's a familiar and all of that makes sense to an extent, right? And it's not like 
they're going to wake up tomorrow and be like, Deserby, what are you doing? You want to slide in here? I wouldn't be opposed. There's a few other names that I have rattling around in my head that I could potentially like to see Vincenzo Italiano. Um, but that aside, I think Allegri will be there only because I think they're trying to write the ship and learn from past mistakes. And of those mistakes, I would say the dismissal of sorry when he had lost the dressing room, fair, fine. However, then you kind of open the door to this weird series in which it's like, we hire Pirlo who hasn't even submitted his thesis and kind of make him a martyr of sorts, which I love Pirlo. So I feel terribly about everything that transpired around that entire season, but I think he did do a fairly decent job. I probably would have let him stay on to figure things out because at that point you had already been overlapping pay going back because it was the Allegri, sorry, Allegri, Andrea Pirlo mishmash of like, let's just pay managers. Like we have money growing on a tree. Apparently didn't have that. Obviously all of the issues uh, with Plus Valenza this year, <laughs> that entire set of cases that kind of had them going from, you know, fourth to 11th to seventh this season that's the stuff off the field, the stuff on the field. It didn't seem like a lot of the identity that Juventinita that has always been there. Again, another side that seems hit by that. Like what the heck is happening here? What's our identity? What, what is the style that we're playing? Who are our players? What, you know, and then just unfortunate events, Pogba yeah. getting injured, never really playing, then getting re-injured is just obscene. They need to literally douse everything in holy water and burn sage <laughs> in turn. Because it's just, it's confounding that how can you be that unlucky in a single year? Yeah. You get Chiesa back after an ACL injury. Just things did not ever feel well. Like things were not, it kind of feels like things would kind of equalize momentarily where you get like this little spurt of like, ooh, ooh, maybe, maybe we got it this time. And then the other shoe would drop. It has been a very weird, weird collection of seasons, but I would say this season, they were getting hit on all sides because performance on field seemed very flat. They didn't seem like mm. themselves. I don't think that they really felt like there was so much missing. And then the soap opera going on behind the scenes of things that has absolutely nothing to do with the players. It just cannot create a very functional bubble in which you are going to be your best version of you given the everything. It just is super unfortunate. Um, in terms of the board, <laughs> who's at the board now? So Gianluca Ferrero and Scanavino are president and CEO. And then they have a couple of contractors among them, temporary and interim people. And then of course, like a risk, a risk board separate from that, which obviously they need. What other questions <laughs> did you have? Oh. <laughs> I'm like, of the 4,000 questions, Di Maria leaving, obviously, kind of knew that was coming. There's been so many names thrown out since March that I don't know that they're going to be able to recover someone of his caliber with his creativity. I know that they had thrown out like Ricardo Orsolini, who is like a former Juve player um, who's at Bologna, but you know, like, like him again, left footed, likes the right flank kind of makes sense. Um, don't know right like that's one of many many in mm. a litany of players that have been like hey maybe this guy maybe that guy the one signing i think they did do a good job with is tim Weah. he's versatile do i think he's a quadrato replacement i don't know 
I don't, I don't, is there other positions that he would better serve Juve in? Probably. I don't know. Um, I just struggle with the can. idea that I don't think that he, I don't think if that he he's needs not good to enough be to play right wing for Lille, he's probably good enough to play right wing for Juve. That, I, I struggle with that. Yeah. I, I feel like he's a bit more versatile than they give him credit for. And I'm not really sure what their intention is, but I, I think he can do better than just, I mean, I love Quadrado. I understand why it was his time to go. I probably for emotional reasons would have just kept him, but <laughs> the tides turn, yeah. right? Um, I think that will they sell off more of the kids? I don't know. I think that Miretti particularly is too valuable to let him go. I just think that he's going to be someone. I think that he's kind of on that path. Um, and I don't know in terms of what is next or how to best, like, is Moise Keane good enough to be a starting number nine for the side? No, they're going to have to fix that. That's, it's just not the reality of it. I like him. I'm constantly rooting for him, but he just isn't that decisive of a not like, no, mm. just no. I'm happy to have him come off the bench. I just don't think that he's going to carry this Juve side like that. Do you? No. No, no I don't. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's part of my worry. Yeah. I mean, honest question. But like, it's weird. <laughs> like, if they were to keep Chiesa and Vlavic, like, they've got two such exciting players that, like, half the, like, best Champions League teams would want to have to pick. Um, but it's just making this work. I mean, like, the fact that Rabio's signing a new contract indicates that Allegri's yeah, Rabio's yeah. a done deal. And I don't mind that. I know that Rabio, people get really upset about, he's reliable. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I frankly. think it's fine. What I do think is, we've got a bunch of players on that Juve side, even last season, even season prior, right? That are very good on paper, that are just not performing for whatever reason. Even Vlavic did not have the season he could have had. No. Um, all in it's, it's weird because i feel like for me at least he looked less himself than we had seen prior seasons and that just to me is one of those weird intangible things that you're like what's yeah. going on like how do we make him happy so that he's the guy that we need him to be right and yeah. like i think that a lot of those questions will get answered i just don't know um in terms of john tooley coming in what that means. I don't think he's going to have just a free bag of cash to scatter about. Um, and I don't think he had that with De Laurentiis either. I think that in that instance, he might be a good fit in terms of making very smart decisions cheaply. And maybe that will help fill some of the gaps and make it a lot easier for players like Vlaovic to perform. I just think that the midfield over there has been a big fat question mark for the most part for the last few seasons. I know we had McKenney who got sent over to Leeds and among other things that, I mean, he's a very good eight, mm. you know, he's a box to box guy, but he's definitely more attacking than he is defensive. So I think that they had a lot of overlap in some positions where it's like, yeah, I don't need two of that. I need, yeah. <laughs> I need some more creativity in here. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for answering those questions because I don't think that uh, I didn't know I, what I, to make I, of it. There's still like 30 more. I could be here all night. <laughs> no, I know. Absolutely. But I think with that, it's probably time for us to wrap up this main segment. Uh, after the break, we are going to be back with some of your hot takes, reacting and seeing what the rank squad have sent in this week. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for part three and our new favorite segment of everything, hot takes from the Rank squad. We're going to start this week with Jack Mainston. Hi, chaps. Hope all is well. Um, my name's Jack. I'm messaging in from sunny Brighton in the south of England. Um, I am a long-term listener from the BR days and I'm a big Southampton fan. You guys have been kind enough to answer some of my questions in the past, but understandably towards the back end of last year, I'd kind of switched off from all things Premier League. Um, my hot take. So it's not really a hot take as such. It's something that I often think about and often talk with friends about. Um, and it all kind of really began when Mauricio Pochettino took over from Nigel Atkins at Southampton. At the time, it was a decision that caused absolute uproar within the fan base. Um, but we were very quickly silenced. The complete mentality shift was there for everyone to see in the whole club. And some of the football that he played during his tenure... Um, was absolutely unbelievable. Some of the best football I've seen down at St Mary's um, and the Dell for forever. Um, certainly didn't think the home side at St Mary's would ever be playing that sort of football. But it got me to um, got me thinking when he left to join Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I was understandably devastated. Uh, I loved Pochettino. I loved his um, journey. I loved the philosophy and the kind of football that he played. And um, so something that got me thinking was why don't or is it okay for fans to follow managers rather than clubs? Now, the only reason I say this, obviously I would never not support Southampton, but the only thing, reason why I say this, if you love a philosophy and you agree with the style of football and you, you agree with the kind of decisions that are made behind, behind that philosophy, why don't you follow that manager if you like the football so much? Again, very, very difficult to do because obviously one of the reasons why we love football is the... Um, it's the tribalness of it. Yeah, you support your club um, through thick and thin, and I am one of those fans without a shadow of a doubt. But why don't more people follow managers for their playing style rather than a club in general? Obviously, clubs are run more than a business than ever at the moment, um, and it's very easy to lose touch with the club that you've kind of followed and loved all your life. So in that sense, if you fall in love with a manager and a certain style of football... Is it okay or is it a reasonable excuse to then follow that manager to continue following his journey and con continue to follow the philosophy that he, he, he or she kind of follows through with? Um, so, yeah, just a little debate to kind of chuck out there and, and kind of get your opinion on. Cheers. Bye-bye. I've never had anything like it. Wow. Um, I wasn't expecting that. Well, uh, we were talking earlier, right? We were talking earlier about people following players around. We were. And I said that we'd come back to that topic. We did. Yeah. Following managers around instead of Well, do you know players. what? I'm actually going to let Chris go first because this feels American. This feels like the sort of thing you might do in America and not here. Go, Chris. <laughs> it does. That's a little bit embarrassing. I'm okay. It's okay. I will embrace the Americanism of it all. Uh he this is actually a really, really good comment yeah. and question. I don't 
I like him. I would hang out with him even if he is a Southampton <laughs> fan. Um, but I digress. So I understand the train of thought, right? Because I'm not going to say I follow all of the teams for the managers whose style I prefer because it's absolutely not true. I am the antithesis of that because UA was <laughs> my first love and Allegri's style is absolutely not even remotely close to the football that I enjoy. I adore what I'll say. If I had to go from my like managerial yeah. family tree of, of managers that I love, you'll kind of figure out very quickly yeah. what I like. So I love Bielsa. I love Gasparini. I love Pep. I love uh, Vincenzo Italiano. These are all managers. And if you actually sat there and mapped it out, which I think I have done before, like they essentially end up being like acolytes of acolytes, even Arteta, right? So by proxy, you can kind of figure out the degrees of separation from like the source, right? And if we say that the source-ish is like Bielsa, kind of, they're all from the same family tree. Those are my guys, okay? That... Outside of Arteta now, which I would say, like, yes, that's that's a preferred style. I don't think I've really gotten to enjoy that much with any of my sides, because obviously I'm a gooner too. But um, those would be extremely the the style of play that I would lean into. Now, following those managers, like I will always have a level of appreciation and admiration for every single one of them, for sure. But you know, not when they're playing against my sides, you know, I'm rooting for their downfall. I, I don't think I could ever follow a manager, but I can certainly have an esteem. For yeah, them. feels a little bit like, well, I'm I'm kind of feel like it's like having a, a girlfriend that you like, but you've split up for a reason. And so you can't track your ex-girlfriend <laughs> for the rest of their life and like think, well, she did have some really positive things that I really liked. Um, <laughs> she made good cookies. She was kind of pretty. In contrast to the other 12, you know, I get it. Right. But you can appreciate certain things. Like, I guess it's, it's like having a type. You're it's right. Having a it's type, like having isn't a type. It? So it's like, if it's I was to say like, Yakanovic when he was Fulham manager, loved him, but I've just looked up like his Wikipedia path since he left Fulham, Al Jirafa, Sheffield United and Dynamo Moscow. I don't care what he's doing. there. <laughs> I really don't care what he's doing right now. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to root for this side. That the, I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All of my exes, I wish you Same. well, but I'm not rooting your new girlfriends on. Okay, like. That's that. I'm not following along like, oh. <laughs> I think I put it thus, right? It, it's like I would not never go and support a footballer and follow them through their career. But we were talking about people doing this earlier, right? I think it's more sensible to follow a manager than it is to follow a player. I would say that for Jack's suggestion. Yeah, if you're I, I would follow argue that because you're around. following you're following more um, a philosophy yeah. than you are uh, a performance. If that yeah. makes sense, mm. I don't know. Like, if you, I guess it wouldn't map one to one onto like actors, but like you know, like yeah, you might like a movie franchise, but you don't necessarily like that particular one actor. But it also works the other way around. Yeah. I don't know. Am I gonna get like? Let me run out and buy like a managerial shirt. No, I'm gonna get like a tracksuit and just start. You're gonna dress like your favorite manager when you go to the game. I'm gonna, bu- I'm gonna I mean, buy that that weird jumper that Pep wore for ages. Yeah. Fortunately, it's not sorry, or I'd be walking around in like a tracksuit with like yeah. cigarettes taped to my body. But like I, it certainly asks 
takes a lot of someone to just be like, yeah, that's my favorite manager right there. Like, that's so weird. Like, it's quite be quite annoying if they also like left for China and it was like an eight hour time difference. You're like, oh, no, I've got to stay up to watch, you know, I loved Pirlo, loved Pirlo as a player and all that. But, you know, like I didn't all of a sudden become a massive fan of Mm. Turkish football and, you know, him coming back to coach who he's taking over for Sampdoria now. Yeah. Cool. Go Sampdoria. But like, I appreciate him. I would like to see him succeed. I'm not suddenly a diehard. Do you know what though? It's a really good take because yeah, I've never had this debate in my life and there's not many debates I haven't had in football. No, Neither really have I, but actually it's, cool. it's really like smart. It. Great fun. It's fun. Right. I like it. He can let's back. roll onwards and let's go to Stuart who comes to us live from Bonnie, Scotland. Hello, Jack and Dean. My hot take is that if a team were to bid around 80 million for Harry Kane, Spurs should accept it, as it's better for them in the long term. There's a couple of reasons for this. Firstly, you can't lose Harry Kane on a free. Like, you cannot let Harry Kane go on a free. You need even need to take the money or get him to sign a new contract, which I don't think he will do. Secondly, if you believe in Ange long term, as I do, obviously, you don't need someone with Harry Kane's skill set. Like, Kyogo would barely touch the ball for Celtic and he'd score the hat-trick. He, like, he isn't needed in build-up. It's all about getting the ball to the wingers in the eights and the half spaces and the centre-forward to be in the box to finish it. You don't need Harry Kane to be dropping deep to link up. And finally, that 80 million can go to a right-back and a centre-mid, a winger who can actually take people on because, like, Kulisevsky and on decent dribblers, you can get much better in terms of, like, players getting out wide so yeah that's that love it i mean do you know what but the best thing about that was chris's face trying to listen to a scottish accent you have the (laughs) subtitles for that because i think i got the gist of it like i legitimately feel like somebody asked me to translate french and i've only taken one semester of french you were focusing so hard i was so impressed with how much concentration went into i know he's asking about yeah i was like oh i'm my eye twitch was about just right (laughs) Where was he from? He was from Scotland. I throw that. We've got we've got uh, a Geordie next from Newcastle. So the the accents are coming thick and fast. Probably a test for you tonight, Chris. A special treat for you. Yeah, a test, Christine. Wow. Okay. So I know he was talking about Harry Kane initially because I got that. It was all Harry Kane. It was all about Harry Kane. Um... Are you sure? Because (laughs) I know he mentioned Ange. So that's the new manager, and eighty million. And we can't let Harry go on a free, but we can, but we can't. I get that part. What was the other rest of it? Basically, I think Stuart's point was that he wants to, he said, Harry Kane should be sold if someone offers 70 million because one, he can't walk on a free. Two, you don't need a player like Harry Kane in the way that Ange Postacoglu plays football. And three, that money could be reinvested in the players that really matter in a Postacoglu style, which is actually having fullbacks that are able to invert and number eights to get up the pitch and make things happen in the final third. The only thing that's really needed from a number nine in an Ange system, as he said, Kyogo used to barely touch the ball for Celtic and score a hat-trick. That was very much his kind of vibe. Yeah. And so that was, I think, what Stuart okay. was getting at. So as I an have read time. and studied, I've read and studied about Ange more than I've watched him, any of his sides play, including Celtic. So that's like your bag, Jack. Um, I will not attest to any of that. But do you honestly think that Harry Kane is superfluous in his system? And can he actually play as he would ordinarily play 
with a Spurs side? Or is this just fan fiction? Well, I know that Dean disagrees with me on this, but I, I think Stuart's right. I think that at okay. that kind of money, at 80 million-ish, Spurs should sell. Because I think there's a, a couple of reasons on top of what Stuart says, in that I actually think that... I mean, doesn't one, Harry Kane want to leave too? That's Isn't part that part of, of this? But Isn't two, that... I think it takes the yeah. pressure off Ange a bit. We've, we've had this discussion, we had this discussion on the previous one. I think it makes life easier for Ange because it's suddenly like, wow, the pressure has dropped because you're not being expected to go on and do things. You've had a torrid summer where you've lost your star man. He's gone off to buy Munich or Real Madrid or wherever. And actually... If that happens, I think the Spurs get a little bit more time to rebuild. But I know that the boys have in the past disagreed with me on this because they said Spurs that. Spurs are perpetually rebuilding. So I don't know what you mean about rebuild. They have never built to rebuild. They just kind of exist. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Dean, I know you disagree. Yeah, mate, you can't sell Harry Kane for 70 or 80 million pounds. This is the best striker in the world. Like, it's not in Tottenham's interest to let this guy leave. Now, look... I- Six months ago, I might have had a different view on this because there are two ways to look at it. You aren't going to get money for him in a year's time. Like the chances of him signing a contract are extremely slim right now. And Tottenham would have to have an unbelievable start to the new season for him to do that. But he turns 30. He, he turns 30 this summer. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why, but there are players that exist in a bubble in my brain who no matter how young they are, they're always old. And I constantly want to be like, Harry Kane's like 34, right? And I do not, it's inexplicable. I do not, no matter how many times I check, like I'm like, no, he's under 30. He's under 30, yeah. 34. Uh, and I don't know if it's just because he's managed to accomplish what he has. I am definitely not a massive Harry Kane fan, but it seems like it's time for him to move on. How do they do that amicably? And alternately, if they end up staying the course, right, and he stays on this side, do you think he works in this proposed no, system? Tottenham aren't going to find another make, striker that scores 30 goals a season. <laughs> Tottenham aren't going to find a... Sh- you can't replace him. All so right, the second man. you let Harry Kane leave the club, you're a worse team. They're starting with a manager next season that has never managed in the Premier League before. They've just let Hugo Lloris go. So that means they've lost their captain, their star striker and their manager. You can't start a season like that and expect any success. They will not qualify for Europe if they were to let Harry Kane leave the club this summer. And they know that. And that's why Daniel Levy is absolutely set on not selling him unless he gets in an absolutely ludicrous bid. And Bayern Munich bidding like 60, 70 million pounds is not what they're talking about. Like, okay, it might be a conversation starter than, than touching base here, but like it's nothing more than that. And all it's really going to do is tempt like PSG or Real Madrid or Man United to come in with a better bid to try and test the water. But like typically, Daniel Levy's stance is Harry Kane is not for sale at any price. And that's because he knows that Tottenham are falling off a cliff the second that Harry Kane leaves that club. But is it better to retain Harry Kane and yes. unhappy Harry Kane he won't be unhappy. Harry Kane's like the nicest person in the world. Like, this is not a guy, like, if he's going to throw his toys out of the pram, then he'll do it now. He'll be in the next two weeks. He'll, if he's going to have his tantrum, and it might come, because, like, these, this move from Bayern Munich isn't out of the blue. Like, they've had indications that, like, there's a reason to make a move. So he might, he might do it. And he did it before, obviously, with Man City. But even when he did that with Man City, he came back into the team. Everything was fine. Because he's a nice guy. I'm going to start my own free Harry Kane free campaign. Harry Kane. Just purely because I enjoy, I enjoy chaos. <laughs> Hashtag three Harry. Free That's a good point. Yeah, I, like I like it. I like it. We got one more. This is from Billy and it's to do with penalties. Listen carefully, Chris. I'm ready. Read. 
Hello, um, my name's Billy, uh, I'm from and support Newcastle, um, I don't want to drag out too long, uh, because the actual hot takes a bit lengthy, so I'm going to try and keep it as short and sweet as I can, uh, unlike Lucas, um, I've scripted this because I, I keep messing it up, uh, so if it sounds a bit robotic, that's why, um, I don't want to miss anyone in particular out, so instead of, sp- like, shouting at specific people, I'm going to shout out the Patreon and the Discord, because the Patreon on its own, like, the two extra pods, absolutely class, kind of, kind of recommend anymore, but the Discord is, it, it's unbelievable, like, I've got so many good mates from there, and generally I kind of recommend it enough, it's really, really good, it's mid, um, my hot take is that penalties are a disproportionate punishment for, um, for what they're usually given for, I think that if a foul occurs, like, right, right inside, like, the top corner, that shouldn't be then immediately given, like, a chance from 12 yards out, especially when one of them is, like, so unequal to the other. And my solution is, you draw a 12-yard semicircle from the centre of the goal line, obviously to the penalty spot, and any foul that occurs within that semicircle is then... It continues as a normal penalty would, in that the penalty would be taken from the spot. But any uh, foul that occurs, like in the box, but not in that semicircle, the resulting kick is then taken from whatever spot it occurred on. So, like if it's a handball just outside the circle, it goes from there instead, and it means that not only is the resulting kick probably a fairer representation of the chance that they were denied but it also means that like if someone like like something that i found really annoys is is when like you see a player and they'll feel like a tug on their toe or something and they and they just go down because they know that like they're going to get a really good chance if they get given the penalty and i feel like not only would this make the game fairer it would probably make it more fun to watch as a neutral because players would have to try to stay up because the quality of chance that they're going to get in return is going to be like less worth it for them um maybe the actual shape of the semicircle would have to change but i feel like it's a good idea i like i say i'm sorry for waffling um have a nice right the rank squad are on absolute there's one last bit there's one last bit (laughs) billy messaged me billy messaged me to add one more thing he said if it's not too much to add as a caveat at the end i think the player that inverted commas won the penalty should have to take it either the one being fouled or the last attacking player to touch the ball Mm. in the event of a handball etc okay Um, Um, so the foul foul lee has to take the kick yeah yeah i honestly i of all of this, like I feel like I could I could get behind that. Why not? Right? Like you can't just like pass it off to whomever to just take the kick. Yeah. You get fouled. You the semicircle it. thing is gonna you be take, interesting. taking the penalty for I'm so confused because in my head, I I am a visual learner. And I'm like, is he talking about the day? I think he's I think he's talking about creating a new <laughs> no. day. Or we're adding a semicircle outside no, he, he's the He's thinking about taking and he's making a new circle, which basically go from post to post, a semicircle. Like, so imagine the, the goal line is the bottom of it, post <laughs> to, to post, the and spot. the top of it is the penalty spot. And pen- That's the penalty fouled in that area would be a penalty, and anything else would be a penalty strike taken from wherever in the box the foul was I committed. Mean, do you know how few penalties are actually conceded in that zone? 
It's yeah. so few. Well, that's like the point that, that Billy's making. I know, but that is there'll barely the ever be Billy's a penalty. Making. Um, but players will be throwing themselves into that area. Like you're going to have, <laughs> you're just going to get on a corner. I think you're going to get everyone point. just literally lunging into that zone to try and win a penalty. Um, so you think that his intention is to minimize the number of penalties? I think he's worried about I think it's to minimize diving, isn't he? He's minimizing penalties given from a 12 yard you know, strike on goal from the penalty spot when the foul occurs, let's say, in the top right hand corner of the box. Because he said that if there's a foul there, it's disproportionate to then give a penalty. But do you know what? There's nothing I love more. And I think he's right. But there's nothing I love more at Fulham. And like, say, Willian, like he cut, he gets to the corner of the box, he waits for the defender and he cuts just in, and the defender clips his ankle and he goes down, he's on the floor. You know it's just And we missed the, the penalty. Box. Whatever. It's, we might miss the penalty because <laughs> Mitro's rubbish at him. But he still get the penalty. And that moment alone is worth me making the trip because I love that penalty incident moment. So I love penalties being given. Like, I, I think you're taking something away from the game if we don't have as many penalties. I'm all for gamesmanship. <laughs> Obviously, there's the reality of it is like that's part of the game. Okay. Like, if yeah, you can manage too. to sell it, like, congratulations. Otherwise, the implication is you get hit with the simulation, yeah. you get hit with a card. You deserve it, right? If you can't manage to um, play off whatever foul you have in whatever instance, that's yeah. on you. Like, it's a 50 What about the penalty is just taken from where the incident occurred? So, it's still a free shot but it's from where the foul took place. So if it was in the corner of the box, that's where that's, your penalty is I taken from. I think what from. Billy's getting at. Yeah, but he's still saying it's a free that's kick, I isn't it? That's what I think Billy suggested. I thought he was talking about it's a free kick. He locked kick. it no, no, with no. the other centre. No, okay. So if that was no, no, no. So that's what happens. No, the, the penalty the penalty stays, the box stays as well oh, as the semicircle. Oh, I thought it meant it would be a free it's kick. It's just only taken from the spot. And that's, that's it's only taken idea. from the spot if it's in the semicircle. I like that because that tests a player a lot more. I do like that. I mean, yeah, I'm okay with that only because that might not be the most advantageous angle that you're taking that shot yeah. from in contrast to what the norm would be. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're going to win it and it's going to be like, oh, heck yeah, this makes my life a lot easier. And sometimes it's going to be the actual opposite. I feel Imagine like if you're the... fouled on the line, but outside the semicircle, and you'd have to take a shot from literally the goal line. <laughs> or do you have to then play a pass <laughs> back to someone? Like, I don't know how it works. Do you have to try and cap right? it off you're the like, post? Oh, so I it goes... the keeper now. But, I'm in. Yeah, keeper Sold. Look, I'll tell you it's one super thing. super exciting and I... Confirm I'm in. This hot take segment that we've begun last week has been way more of a success than I ever envisaged. I didn't realise that the rank squad had such a uh, vision of how this game should be played. And this I'm loving fun. it. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely participated in a lot of like mailbag scenarios where I have tried to wish myself out of existence <laughs> to avoid answering the questions, but these are fun. Welcome to Ranks FC. Even if Absolutely. I can't understand, apparently my ears do not work on Scottish <laughs> accents, so I'll work on that. All the time it'll come. Like, what? It next time you come on, you'll have watched like Braveheart. On... Watch Braveheart before you come on next time. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to the training montage a la Rocky, but it's just me watching Braveheart everywhere I go. I'm like jogging through the streets with Braveheart blasting in my headphones. I'm like, I got it. The freedom. That was a good accent. I, I, I want to see this now. Can you put this on TikTok? Um, I, I very much enjoy that. Right. If you want to be involved in Hot Takes next week, get at Dean or I or at Rank Squad on Twitter. You can drop them in our DMs on Instagram 
Discord. Yeah, send it to. to I'll be honest. Just send we it straight to Jet's Instagram because it's not going to be doing anything in my inbox. Ideally, send it to me on Twitter so I can download it instead of having to like record stuff off my phone and then having to send it and readapt the files. Yeah, the problem is we came up with this idea, but didn't have a strategy of how to actually get the voice notes. (laughs) No, it's been really difficult. I've had to play them on Instagram, screen record, and send it. Now that I know that they also needed to like guess the name, they're like his name is Rumpelstiltskin. (laughs) Submit an email, twist three times to get their hot taken. I respect these three even more so now because they went the distance. Exactly. Like you need to send them. Yeah. We had a hundred voice notes in last yes, week, and we they were the be. three that went. <laughs> <laughs> they, they did the right dance, yeah. which is the important thing. Uh, thank you to Jack, to Billy, and to Stuart for those Thanks, three lads. hot takes. Uh, and with that. I think it's time for us to call it a day. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you so much to Christine Cooper for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure having you on, Christine. Thank you guys so much. I actually had a blast. I mean it too. Everything, not even lying. A great debut. It was a great debut. <laughs> it was a wonderful debut. Thank you very much to the Transfer Guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Neighbor of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for tuning in as ever. And we will see you all next week. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.